We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, coming at you uh, the night after, um, well, the night after a night that is still very painful to think about. Not a fun evening, um, or at least not a fun end of the evening if you're a Knicks fan. We will talk about that and many other things from a uh, guy reporting from, I'm sure, is just one of his favorite locations on the NBA map. Sunny Orlando, Florida, the athletics, Fred Katz. Hello, sir. I'm literally reporting as we speak that the Knicks are protesting last night's game. Are you really doing that? Yeah, I'm about to tweet it out. So this is a heck of an intro. I don't think they're going to win that protest. Can we talk about that for a sec? So I will say, as an NBA fan of over three decades, I am woefully unfamiliar with forget about like protest rules but like the protest process like anything having to do with protesting an NBA game um like coming at it from again the perspective of someone who knows quite literally nothing about this i isn't the objective of a protest to get the league to say to 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 say okay go back and play the last 5 minutes go go back and play the overtime period you should have played Yes, it is. Okay. Um, the thing is, and I had this actually in my story off of the game in Houston. I had this at the very end of my story because I reached out because I knew that was something the Knicks, I knew there was a chance the Knicks were going to protest the game. Okay. And I reached out to get clarity on if there was any realistic chance the Knicks could win a protest of that game, even with the league admitting the call was wrong. And what I was told was that you win a protest not because you got screwed on a call. Like that's not why you want to protest. That's why nobody ever wins a protest and why teams don't usually actually file for a protest after the game. The reason the way you can win a, win a protest is if you can prove the misapplication of a rule and not that somebody was wrong on a call. So if we don't know what their case is, if their case is just Jason Goble was there, the league said in the last two minutes report that it wasn't a foul and he called it a foul. It's not the misapplication of a rule. He just made a wrong call. Now, now, one thing, 
that I wonder. Nah, this is too galaxy brain. It's too stupid to say on a podcast. And I don't think it's the case. But if listen, the one- listen, if there's ever a podcast where you should say the thing that you wonder if it's too stupid to say, it's this one. <laughs> that that's fair. So I was the I was the pool I was a pool reporter during the whole shenanigans. We're gonna get back and to that in a second, but yes. So one of the questions that I asked. Ed Malloy and I was curious about, and I know there were people with the Knicks who were curious about it too, which is to be honest, what brought it to my attention. And then I was like, that is an interesting point. So after the Dante DiVincenzo play uh, at the end of the first half, so DiVincenzo shoots up a three, he gets fouled by Aaron Holiday. This is at the end of the first half, sorry. DiVincenzo shoots a three, gets fouled by Aaron Holiday. They go back, they review it to see if there was time on the clock. They say, yes, there was time on the clock at the time of the foul. I forget how much, a fraction of a second at the time of the foul. They then go back and and then the Rockets challenge the foul. They say it wasn't a foul because DiVincenzo kicked his leg out. Obviously, the refs go back. They then review it to review the foul. They say, yes, not only was it not a foul on Aaron Holiday, it was actually an offensive foul on DiVincenzo for kicking his leg out. And then halftime came, and that was it. Well, first they reviewed the clock part of it, then they reviewed the foul part of it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then halftime came. Yes. The Rockets never actually inbounded the ball to close out the half. And if the Rockets were able to challenge, if the Rockets did not inbound, the, an argument that was made to me and why I asked the question about Malloy is, you reviewed it first to see how much time was on the clock. It was determined there was time on the clock at the time of the foul. Then nobody actually inbounded the ball, which meant that at the time of DiVincenzo's foul, the implication is it happened with zero on the clock, which means should that not have been a foul or should the ball have actually been inbounded? Now, ultimately, it has absolutely no result on the game. And I asked Ed Malloy about it, and Malloy said that that was handled correctly according to the rules. Uh, With no further explanation? I asked the follow. I mean, should we call it up? Should we call it the pool report? He, if you want to, I'm, I'm down. He explained with it, it to I, me. But there was, a, exp- there was an explanation given. That's all there I was. There was an explanation know. given. Okay, there was an explanation given. There have been a lot of things that have bounced around in my head. But he said it, and then I followed up to confirm. It was like, so to confirm it was handled correctly. And he said, that's correct. Uh, but I, I, I've wondered if like that, the Knicks are trying would try to find a way around a protest. I think I'm really galaxy branding this because it really had no it had no effect on the game. Okay, so you inbound the ball with 0.1 seconds left, but like there were people with the Knicks who were like, "You should ask about this. You should ask about this." And I was like, "That is interesting. I'll, I'll ask." I, I ha- so you're you're worrying about being galaxy brain. I'm worried about boring everybody with old war stories from um, my days as a practicing attorney because the thing about when you the um, legal equivalent to filing an appeal for a game is uh, f- literally filing an appeal on a court case that you have lost. And it doesn't matter how egregious the result was. It doesn't matter if a jury um, let off a-, a guy for murder who walked into the courtroom for his testimony uh, dripping head to toe in blood um, that was then proven to be the, the, the blood of the victim. Obviously, I'm making up some absurd example. The point is, it doesn't matter how absurd it is on its face that the, that the, the, the ruling of the jury or whatever the case was, was wrong. There has to be something that the judge did that was an incorrect application of the law, which is why you always see in like 
television shows and movies and whatnot, the lawyer at the bench and they're like, I need to get this on the record, Your Honor. And the judge will be like, I don't give a fuck what you want, whatever. But like, that's why lawyers always try that, to get everything on the record. That's actually straight out of a, a court transcript, right? I need to get what? this on the record, Your Honor. I don't give a fuck what you I don't want. give a fuck, right. probably. Um, no, but like, that's so... You're you're absolutely right, which is that the league can find can find that a the call was wrong, which again no, no, there doesn't seem to be any dispute about, and b that were the call were there no call, which is the correct, which is what the correct thing would have been. Um, there is no reasonable possibility that the game would not have gone into overtime. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is based on the rules. That doesn't matter. And there needs to be something else that they're going to need to find. To my knowledge, I'm, 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 that's what I was told last night. And I, I double checked in with people who know the rules and know all okay. of this stuff before I actually wrote it, just to make sure that I was, I was absolutely correct because I wanted to include a little something on the possibility of a protest coming from the Knicks. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they'll win it. I understand why they're doing it. This is the team that applied for the disabled player exception for Mitchell Robinson when they said he might be back in February. So this is a team we could call them the New York due diligence. That's what we can call them. They're oh, that's quite it's due diligence. It. You go, you protest. It's fine. Uh, it's, it's not, there's something bad that's going to happen. And I think everybody recognizes like they got, look, they got robbed. They got they got totally robbed in a way that and that is not a thing that is not a word that I use lightly. I don't think I've ever said that about a team that I cover. They got robbed, but they really did in this case. And I think they're immensely frustrated, even though they all took it upon themselves to talk about how great the officiating was last night. Since you just brought it up, I'll, I'll go there. Immensely frustrated. I think that's probably I would imagine that's a great term to use. I've asked you in the past about how apparent on-court frustrations or like a sustained stretch of poor play can seep into a team's psyche and, you know, manifest itself in just, you know, a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, a vicious cycle, whatever analogy you want to use. And you've said to me in response to those questions in the past, like, look, these guys are way more professional than I think maybe fans realize. And it's like, they're really good at putting the last game behind them and going on to the next game, the whole thing. To be clear, I'm not saying that this team is playing poorly. I know they've lost four or five, but they're obviously dealing with an onslaught of injuries. Do you think like there's one more game before the all-star break? Like, how, I'll just ask this. How do you think they're going to come out in Orlando? Uh, if you had to guess, you know, in journalism, they say there's the who, what, where, when, why, how, the six questions. Yeah. You're asking how will they come out in Orlando? I have a simpler question. What? Who <laughs> will come out in Orlando? That's great. That's good. Who yeah. is going to be wearing a New York Knicks jersey and participating as a member of the New York Knicks in an NBA game against the Orlando Magic on Wednesday? I don't know. So it kind of depends on that. Is DiVincenzo going to play? Is Hartenstein going to play? If those guys are out, they have four starters out. Like you could, you could really fudge how you want to frame it and say they have five starters out because like Mitch is a starter, but Hartenstein's also a starter. 
Yeah. And you could, you could really just be like, ah, they have five starters out. Let's forget about the fact that Jalen Brunson's playing and just say that they have, they have six starters and five of them are out. Uh, If, if, I mean, DiVincenzo is questionable as of now, so we don't know. Ultimately, it depends on who actually plays. I honestly don't know how they respond. Look, it's not like they were all in their feelings about it. I went into that post-game press conference yesterday thinking someone was getting fined. Like, I wouldn't have blamed anybody for doing it. I wouldn't have blamed Tibbs. I wouldn't have blamed Jalen Brunson. I wouldn't have blamed anybody. And nobody wanted to do it. The only thing we got was a little tweet from Precious Achua that said nasty work, which... And Josh. That was after the pool report came out. I think once... Once Ed Malloy does the does the interview and just says to me right there, like, we got it wrong, which, by the way, I know it's like in vogue to crap on the refs and it was it was a terrible call. But props to them for immediately being like, yeah, we messed it up because we don't really see officials do that in a pool report. And I thought when when Malloy said that to me i was like okay like like my reaction was like oh wow okay that's that's respectable that he was like yeah we messed it up we're not we're not defending it um so at least at least from a character perspective perspective props to them for not trying to defend it by any case uh but i think once that comes out it's a lot easier for josh hart to be like you know tweet out crying laughing emojis as opposed to before it happens you know i i do want to ask um I, 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 I want to ask about you because I, first of all, I'll be again, fully transparent. I did not realize until last night that it is one reporter is selected to go and do the pool report. Um, who makes that decision? The beat writing gods, my friend, they smile down upon us. And we all have to look up at the same time. And at some point, a beam of green light shoots down from the sky and it encompasses just one of us. We don't know who, we don't know why, but if you are submerged in that green light, it's your responsibility. Nay, it is your duty to pull report. It is the only thing that matters in this world. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I can tell you the real reason behind pool reporting. I'd love to know the real reason. Which is so much less... 
throw Which is so much less exciting than what I just described, by the way. How much better would the NBA be if that was it? Uh, the way it works is the NBA sends out an email determining who the pool reporter is going to be or a text or whatever. And somebody from the league office just texts you before every game. There's, there's a designated pool reporter on every game. And they just kind of shake it up and I'll proceed with texts from somebody in the league office being like, do you mind being the pool reporter for tonight? And I, I never respond yes. I always respond with something overly and outrageously enthusiastic because why the hell would I be like, yes, of course, I don't mind being the pool reporter. I respond just being like, this is, you know, my life calling. And, and so, or, or with an outrageous GIF. And so I, I actually was not the pool reporter. In Houston, it was Jonathan Fagan, who is the longtime fantastic Rockets beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. But I'm there. Steve Popper's there from Newsday. Stephen Bondi's there from the New York Post. And and Jonathan's there. And all three of those guys are on deadline and write for newspapers. And I write for an online outlet. So I was like, do you guys want me to just take it? So I just did it. Okay. Um I, re- I sorry, my apologies because I really just am very curious about the scene. So, do you? I'm picturing you like being led down a dark hallway and then going into like one of the, I guess it's like an interrogation room, right? With the one light overhead and there's Ed Malloy sitting there. That's exactly how it is, right? I mean, basically, there's also like you have to, there's this hallway and there are just lasers all over it. And you have to slide between the lasers in order to get through, like you're in Star Wars. That's and then not the, that's not the film. It's it's Ocean's Twelve. If we're gonna be Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Eleven. No, it's Ocean's Twelve. It's when the I can't believe this. I, I a million guesses as to what movie would have come up on this pod. I would not have guessed Ocean's Twelve. No, there's the cat burglar who has to uh, go through the laser mm. thing to steal the. I think it's like an egg. Um, and they show that and you know, we've we've gone to the Night Fox. Thank you, Andrew. The Night Fox. There you go. It's also Get Smart with Steve Carell. There's one Never like that. He's got a mouse it. in his suit. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, I mean Steve Carell couldn't have been a pool reporter because he got totally burned up in that situation. But other than that, it's actually over Zoom, even though you're in the same building. I oh, think wow. because the league yeah, it didn't used to be. That's a that's a post-COVID thing where it's just over oh, Zoom. Wow, okay. And it's just kind of a it's now kind of an anachronism. But they set you up over Zoom so the league office can be on there too, but they just they just facilitate the Zoom. And so I just did it from the media room. Uh they you you, you actually the one thing you have to do that makes it not like other interviews is you need to submit your questions to the league. So they have a they have a person in the league office who handles this. You submit the questions in advance to the league. Then you can ask those questions that you've submitted to the league already, and you're allowed reasonable follow-up questions. So if you want clarity on something or you want to follow up on the same topic, you're allowed to do that. But um, otherwise, it's it's all submitted in advance. It's not like when I go to a press conference and I'm just throwing stuff at Jalen Brunson. So like you, so you don't just get to ask off the cuff, like, how does it feel to be the most hated man in New York? That, that wouldn't fly. No. Well, it wasn't Ed Malloy who made the call. So it's always so that, with, that's my next question. But continue. it's always with yeah. the crew chief. So Ed Malloy is the crew chief. He's the he's the top dog. He's the number one guy. So it's always with the crew chief, no matter what call you're asking about. And the league says, for what it's worth, that the reason that they want the question submitted in advance is so that the officials can actually have time to, if they don't know the answer, to find out an answer because you're always talking to the crew chief. For example, if you're asking why was there a foul called against 
against Jalen Brunson on Aaron Holiday's jump shot at the end of the game. If you're asking that question of Ed Malloy, Ed Malloy's genuine answer might be, oh, I didn't make the call. I can't say for sure. But if you submit it in advance, then he goes to Jason Goebel. He's like, why was there the call? Goebel says why there was the call. But that said, that's why they always kind of sound like robots in their responses. It's very robotic. They know what they're going to say. I, I, I do like asking reasonable follow-ups in those situations because I just I like to be able to kind of get more of a just clarify things, get more, maybe more of a human answer. Cause I still feel like a journalist who needs to be able to, to get a human answer and something, something legitimate out of it. Uh, but I mean, look, to Malloy's credit, he did it. I asked him straight up. Did you feel like you got the call right? Which, which I feel like isn't really a thing that gets asked that often in pool reporting, but I was like, it just seems so obvious from the replay. It was the wrong call. I was like, I'm just going to ask him if upon seeing the replay, do they, do they stand by the call? Were they right? And, and I thought, it would kind of be beneficial for everybody if they answered it truthfully. And to Malloy's credit, he answered it truthfully. We see officials in NBA games all the time. And I promise, like we've been talking about this for a while, we're going to get to other stuff because this is not the only thing that we should talk about. But we see officials, I don't know, once a game, probably not, maybe not that often, maybe more often. I don't even know um, where an official will make a call and then another official will come in or maybe the first official will be like, They'll make the call, but they were they made the, but they weren't sure about it, and then maybe they'll call another official over to help. Or like we we by long story short, we see calls get changed in real time, and yet I can't for the life of me. And Fred, you watch as many, if not probably actually you probably watch more NBA games than I do. Um, like I've never seen that happen at the end of a game, and. I wish I could look into Ed Malloy's mind in the closing moments or, or after that call was made. And I wonder if he, if like, would there have even been an opportunity for he to run in for him to run in after the foul call was made and change it? I don't think so, I guess, but I, so I, don't I know. think, I think there is the problem is it's never really on those kinds of plays. What happens is the time where the times where it gets changed. So, like once Ed Malloy sees a replay of it, it's done. He can't change it because of a replay, because that's not a reviewable situation. So the way they change the call on the floor is if another official has a better angle than the because like the way if, the way officials officiate is they have they they almost play like a zone. They have different zones, different spots where when the ball goes here, when players are here, this is where you look. And then when the ball goes here, I'm checking here. And then when the ball is here, the person in this position is looking here. The person in this position is looking for the foul. The person in this position is looking under the board, seeing if there's a loose ball foul on the rebound, so on and so forth. And the way that you get one ref overturning another ref's call in a game is if maybe there's like a little mesh of zones. And one ref has a better angle on a play than another ref does. Or maybe a ref just has a good enough angle to see conclusively, actually, the call that you just made was not correct. So they go over to that ref and they're like, trust me, I saw it. It went out it went out of bounds on this guy. I saw it. I'm like, we got to switch it. And they're like, okay, good. On a play like that, like Ed Malloy, I, I, I have to check to see where, where Malloy is looking, what he's doing. But Ed, like Goebel's responsibility, is the shooter out there. And Malloy might've been under the basket looking at the guys fighting for the rebound to see if there's a loose ball, you know, loose ball foul or something like that. So if that's where his eyes are, 
he doesn't have the authority to be able to go out there and say, he might be thinking, I think you got that wrong, but I saw it at my peripheral vision. I was watching the guys under the basket. I can't say with 100% certainty, it was wrong. That's your call. You got to stand by it. So it's, it's really hard on those kinds of plays to have it overturned for that degree. Tibbs's challenge on the Taj play was weird, right? Wasn't that a weird challenge? Well, I mean, we were doing the, the watch along for play on playback and like on one hand, I got it like there was it was it's the first half, but it was kind of like one of those momentum play like, you know, momentum was in the air. I'll say it was it, the, the momentum was was tossed up uh, and, and it was someone it was someone was trying to grab it. And like I got it from that sense. And yet you watch the replay and the first replay I saw, I'm like, oh, that they're not going to overturn that because he was. Uh, I think Benji actually verbalized it. He's like, he had started the gather and Taj was still moving. And it's like, it was obvious he had started the gather before Taj was still moving. So I don't, it's weird because it's like, all right, you say, all right, well, Tibbs maybe trying to, trying to spark something, try whatever. And yet this is a man who has been as conservative with his challenges as any coach in the league. Am I, am I, I'm, that's, I don't think that's an overstatement, right? Yeah, it might be. I honestly don't know. You might be right. Would you would you agree he has been conservative with his challenges, generally speaking? Yeah, he's generally conservative. I think he has a good percentage on his challenges, though, right? He has a very good percentage, in part because he's yeah. conservative, because he doesn't. Yeah. Because I I could I could certainly count the amount of times on one hand this season, maybe of the last couple seasons, where he has made a challenge where it is just obvious. And I don't want to put this at like a 10 out of 10 obvious, but it was like an 8.5, maybe 9 out of 10 obvious that this was not getting overturned. I mean, but well, I don't know. I don't you know. It was difficult about last night to take you since we're getting inside baseball and reporting. Please. You know, it was difficult about last night. So we're sitting there after the game and that ending was just, I'd never seen anything like that. I don't think any of us had ever seen anything like that. And that ending was so crazy that you're sitting there in the post-game press conference. And it's like, all you can think about asking is that is that final play. And certainly all Tibbs is thinking about is that final play. And certainly all the players are thinking about is that final play. But there were so many things that I wanted to actually like had nothing to do with that final play that I would have loved to have asked Tibbs about after that game. And to be clear, I could have asked them. But I'm just sitting there and all I'm thinking about in the moment is that final play. Like all I want to ask about is the officiating. Like it wasn't just a great officiated game. And then they, they just had a boo-boo on the final, on the final possession. Like it was, it was a very questionably officiated game. Tibbs got his first tech. Yeah. I call call that in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. He got his first technical foul of the year. Like obviously something that was that was at halftime. That was going into halftime. He got his first tech. That was two quarters before this game ending play. Like something about the officiating. And he basically hinted at it being the inconsistency. Uh, something was irking him about the officiating last night. And it was a very inconsistently officiated game. But I would have loved to have known the answer. And I, I might just ask him pregame tomorrow in Orlando because I'm in my hotel room in Orlando right now and I will I'll be at the availability tomorrow pregame. So I might just spout some of these off pregame tomorrow just because I'm really curious to know the answer. One thing I, I would 
would have loved to have known is what what why he chose that play with Taj to challenge. The other thing I would love to have known, and that that I think I will ask pregame tomorrow, is I, I think I might just look at him and be like, bruh, third quarter, no substitutions. Well, I got one better for you because you mentioned I'm trying actually before I move on, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to ask about the the call. And I, I don't the only thing I'll say about Tibbs is you you mentioned consistency of what he wants. He's consistent. The only thing he ever says about the refs in criticism is just be consistent. That's the only thing he'll ever say. So it's very true. Yeah. Um, it's not like he goes off the handle about refs in like all manner of different ways. He has one request to be consistent. That's his only request. Tibbs also, for what it's worth, for as much as Tibbs is like outside reputation, is that he's always yelling and he's always cursing and he's always angry and he's always pumped up and he's always something. They could be up 47 points. Like, like Tibbs legitimately didn't he motherfuck Dante for having an eight second violation in a 37 point game? I don't know. Am I getting I that game remember. right? That was in the that was in the Denver game, right? Uh, that was in the Denver game, right? I think sure. he gave him an I think he he dropped an MF after after Dante had an eight second violation, it was, it was, I think it was the Denver game. It was like the very, very end, the final minute or two of a game that they were up massively, right? Three, three within the last three or four weeks. And it's just like Tibbs will just like, it, one thing goes wrong. Tibbs is just, he's going nuts. But Tibbs doesn't get texts. And if what the refs say about him is he's not personal with them, he's not cursing them out. When Tibbs curses, you notice he's not actually like really cursing at anyone. He's just screaming profanities to himself. He's like that dude in the park. And you're just like, who like, he's, you know who he is? He's the dude in the park that tourists think is notable, but New Yorkers are like not even batting an eye at. That's the level that he is. And, and the public on the outside, we're the tourists who are like, oh my goodness, look at that person. He's just screaming curse words on the sidelines. Like... Look at him. He's so angry. It's a 28 point game. And then the players and the refs are like, we, uh, yeah, I mean, this is just, you know, he's living in New York. This is just what it is. I'm not even going to, I've seen 17 crazier things in the last two hours. And so they don't really react to, to Tibbs all that much. Cause I think it kind of becomes white noise to, to a degree. And they know it's not personal at all. I, I think someone should jump on that as a great, um, opportunity to create the next great uh, American product, a white noise machine that instead of creating white noise is just tips spewing profanities with the occasional with the occasional Fred Katz interjection of isn't that the game he motherfucks Dante <laughs> kids, closure, kids closure. Um, please, like please don't tell theory. please don't tell Dante about my phrasing on that one uh, I, I, you know what I, I'll, next time I talk to him I'll be sure not to bring it up um, you just reminded me of the one last thing I did want to ask about, and I, I, I feel an obligation to ask, much like you felt an obligation to ask Ed Malloy the thing that you asked him. Um, Goebel, the ref who made this call, is the same ref who did not call a foul on Jason Tatum in the game opener on the sliding the feet under with six minutes and change left. Shout out to New York Basketball for tweeting that out earlier today. Um, the greatest and then, aggregation account. 
in history, even though we have no idea who it is. It's you. Uh, we know it's you. It's, it's okay. It's Berman. <laughs> <Can you? laughs> actually, that would the be beat the writers. Fun. The beat. The beat writers have an inside joke that it's Berman. That would be fantastic. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I, here's what I want to know. It's and it doesn't have. To, I we could move on from this quick if there's really no good answer to it. But like putting aside like the Chris Paul Scott Foster thing, which I think exists in its own like universe. Is there how much talk is there behind the scenes of oh this ref has it out for me or this ref has it out for us or this ref has it out for my coach or any of those or yes we got this ref tonight we're we're gonna win or like, I'm over exaggerating but how much of that is discussed behind the scenes if at all then you're in the answer you know, maybe wish, not at all I wish I could give you a good answer because it's a good question. Oh, thank you. I don't really know because they don't really discuss it with reporters, to be honest, because they're kind of all on edge about not wanting to get fined and stuff. So like every once in a while, you'll you'll have a a good trusted relationship with someone and you'll give them off the record because it's not newsworthy and you'll just be, you know, kind of shooting the shit, trying to learn more about it. And they'll tell you who they like, who they don't like and why they like those people and all that kind of stuff. I find that most players are able to compartmentalize what happens in a game versus what they think of the referees as people moving forward. You know what I mean? There are obviously ones who they think are good refs. There are ones who they think are bad refs. I find that the common thread is that the players who the refs who players generally like aren't really ones who they say, oh, well, this guy has the highest accuracy because the league tracks all this stuff like we see the last two minute report of correct call incorrect call correct call incorrect call and so on and so forth but they don't just do it for the last two minutes they do it for the whole game they just make the last two minutes public but the first 46 minutes are you know in the league's internal database and they track every single call that each official makes and they you know they all get graded out on their percentages and all that kind of stuff I never hear a player say, oh, yeah, you know, this guy, I know he's got a really high percentage of his, his calls correct. What, what they often say about, I shouldn't say he, because there are a lot of women refs too, uh, but what they often say is they like the ones who are communicative. And I think that's the most common thread where, hey, like, like player, I've had numerous players say to me when they come and they say, they say, I think you messed that up. They like a ref who responds, you know what? I'll look at it at halftime. I'll let you know. And then they go and they look at it at halftime and they come up to you at the half and they're like, Hey, I looked at the half. I actually was correct. You got, you got this thing and here's why I'll show you. Or they come back and they say, I'm sorry, man. I, I looked at the half. You were right. I, I messed that one up. I apologize. And, and there are a lot of refs who do that. We just don't see it. And the players like the refs who do that kind of stuff the most, those are the ones who normally get the most positive reviews, the ones who are communicative in that sense, uh, which is difficult for a ref because number one, look, players will say crazy stuff to refs. Like they will just complain about everything, everything, every call. No NBA player has owned up to a foul call in like 20 years. Just hasn't happened. And you lose credibility real quick. You know, like, 
like, look, Isaiah, Isaiah Hartenstein complains about a whole lot of calls, right? And when he gets called for a foul and then says, review it, review it. And then you look at the replay and it's like, did he slap that dude across the face? And then, and then, and then you call and then, and then he gets called for another foul and he's, he's like, review it, review it. And he's twisting his finger around. You look at the replay and you see, he actually took a mallet out of his pocket and (laughs) hit the guy right in the gut. And you're like, oh my God, how's that not even a flagrant, you know? And it's like, you lose your credibility really quick. So I sympathize with the refs in those situations because it can be hard to have that sort of composure. And I think sometimes when we look at like technical fouls that we consider to be soft technical fouls, I think sometimes, not all the time, obviously, but sometimes it's because we don't see the full context of it where it's like somebody has said 900 things in a row. And at some point a ref was like, you got to cut it out. You got to cut it off. If you don't cut it off, you're, I am, I am teeing you up on the next one. And then they, there is a next one and then they tee him up. And then the thing that goes viral is, oh, the ref, the ref teed that person up for saying the softest thing, but it's like, no, 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 no. This wasn't the first time these two people have ever corresponded in their lives. There's obviously something to this, which is why I'm always very skeptical and I'm very, I just always feel like I never have enough information for the most part to be able to grade if something was a, a good tech or a bad tech. And for example, when Josh Hart got ejected from that game in in uh, LA earlier this year, right? Josh Hart gets ejected, gets two techs. And my initial reaction when he gets ejected, along with the other beat writers, is, oh my God, I can't believe he got ejected. And everyone on Twitter is like, what a horrific ejection. How can you toss Josh Hart there? And then I learned what was said. I'm not going to repeat what was said just because I'd be breaking somebody's trust if I repeated it. But what I can say is Josh Hart absolutely deserved to get ejected. And he agrees. He was like, yeah, he, he totally understands why he got ejected. That's why he just walked off. He totally understands why he got ejected. Like he, he, he lost his cool, said some stuff that you cannot say to a ref. And then said some more stuff that you cannot say to a ref and he got ejected. And so, like, I think sometimes it can be difficult to judge from the outside. Uh, I think like someone like someone like Hart, I think, has a really consistent dialogue with referees. And that can get you more leeway in a lot of situations where like you know everybody's name and you have the, the sort of conversation. And I think that's something that can that can help you. But I don't know. Now I'm going on. John, John, no, John, bring me, ba- me back in, John. Bring me no, back this in. is the uh, this is the stuff that I'm that I'm fascinated by because I think it really does inform just a lot of the stuff that I I know I wonder about, and I think a lot of other a lot of other fans wonder about too. Let's bounce let's bounce around um, to a couple of things before I let you go. Um, let's do the minutes thing, and then I want to get back to Josh Hart actually because I have another question about him. Uh, all of his starters in for the third quarter. That didn't surprise me as much as I mean nothing Tibbs does surprises me, but Dante first uh, it, and again New York New York basketball on Twitter put out the clip today. Um, Dante first held his hamstring, and you actually may have tweeted about it in the moment, right? Because you tweeted about yeah, you did. Uh, good job by you, Fred. Uh, first held his hamstring at like the six and change mark, stayed in for a couple of possessions. And then on a foul with five twelve left, uh, I guess asked out. That 
that that if there's anything that is comes close to surprising me for a Tibbs thing, that might have surprised me. And now he's questionable for the next game, and obviously he's, he didn't play the last five minutes and change of the game. So what say you about that? So he was holding his hamstring before that, I think. Because when was the timeout? Because he was holding he was holding his hamstring I'll, earlier I'll in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he kind of came up short on on a play on defense and was holding his hamstring as he as he went back the other way. And I want to say it was around the seven minute marker or so in the fourth quarter. Oh, there was a timeout at five fifty six left, but no, that's after the six minute and change mark. Yeah, no, five fifty six. That must have been it. So, okay. so there's, so there's, so Divincenzo pulls up somewhere on defense. Maybe, maybe New York basketball did get the the right one. It is, it is literally the best aggregation account I've ever seen. So it's probably Ber- correct. Berman's on his game. Berman's always right on that account. It's unbelievable. Berman's just on top of everything. If there's one thing that I know about Berman is that that dude is scouring social media to find any breadcrumb that he possibly can to be able to aggregate it. That's that's just that's just what I know. I know that dude is on technology all the time. Uh, but but at some point around seven ish minutes, you you could see Divincenzo kind of pulls up a little bit and he starts touching his right leg, the back of his right leg, and. He comes back down the other way and he, he, the whole offensive possession, he's kind of touching it again. And they go into that timeout and I could see DiVincenzo yell to somebody on the bench as he's walking back towards the bench. He's kind of walking gingerly. I could see him because wh- where we sit in Houston is not that far behind the Knicks bench. And you can see him say to somebody on the bench, it's the hamstring. So this is during the timeout with 5.52 to go, 5.56 to go in the fourth quarter. And he, he goes to the trainer. Trainer gives him a Theragun. And he's standing in the timeout the whole time. And he's, he's listening to Tibbs, you know, draw a play or whatever they're discussing there. And he's standing around the starters. And instead of sitting down, he's standing up. And as he's standing up, he's using the Theragun on his right hamstring the whole time. And he goes back out in the game. And I was surprised. Then he went back out. I was like, he's still kind of limping as he goes back out. And then about a minute later, he was he was next. He happened to be next to Tibbs, and he asked out of the game. He told Tibbs that he had to had to come out. And then Tibbs turned and screamed for Jalen. And then Jalen subbed in for for Dante. And Dante went straight to the trainer. Spoke with the trainer for you know twenty seconds, and then went straight to the locker room in the back. And yeah, I was. I was surprised. I shouldn't say I was surprised. I'm having the same thought process as you. I wasn't surprised, but it was jarring when he had played 41 of a possible 43 minutes when he's played, what, 38 plus minutes in eight straight games. And it's not just the minutes, hey, by Fred, the way. He, sorry. He, I don't know if you know this. In the in the eight games that Julius and OG have missed, um, technically, DiVincenzo ranked second in the league in minutes per game only because Derek Lively, the second, played one game and played like 41 minutes in that game. But Dante DiVincenzo has played in eight of those eight games and he leads the league in minutes. Talk about Lively. It's a lot of minutes. That's a lot of minutes. And see, that was good. That was a good joke. No explanation needed. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, my brain goes to weird places. I already told Andrew... You, you know how often, you know how weird my brain is and how often I have to just think about the Knicks all the time? Last night, I had a dream about Jason Goble. 
I had a dream about the referee who made the call on Jalen Brunson's foul, in which I had a dream that I picked up a copy of the New York Post and I looked at the back page and the back page what the back page headline said foul play and foul was spelled F O W L. And it was a picture of Jason Goble and he was saying Goble Goble like a turkey. And that was my dream. Man, I really, I, Andrew needs to check if we're running any ads for any, uh, better help or whatever the thing is. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that would, that would work. I could use all of that. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh... With Dante, okay. Yeah, let's, let's get back. Let's let's say something reasonably intelligent before I leave. So everyone talks about minutes with Tibbs. And that's all well and good. But not all minutes are created equal. And I feel similarly about the minutes conversation as I do to the way people discuss pitch counts in baseball. You know, a, a knuckleballer throwing 100 pitches over seven low stress innings completely out of the windup is totally different than a five foot 11 pitcher who throws a 97 mile an hour fastball like Marcus Stroman, who's, who's a small pitcher throwing a hundred pitches over five innings in which he's always thrown out of the stretch and constantly pitching these high leverage situations with guys in scoring position. Like that is more exhausting. That's worse on your arm. And if you're playing 38 minutes, but you're not that involved. It's a lot different than playing 38 minutes or 40 minutes or 41 minutes and taking legitimately 15, 18 threes on some nights and taking tons of shots and driving to the rim. And something that uh, DJ Zulo has been all over for you guys is how different the shot creation has been specifically for Jalen Brunson with Julius Randle out. And he's talked about and I'm going to work on something on this for for some point later this week because he's made some great points on Brunson on on Brunson's driving to the hoop during these eight games without Randall about 25 times a game before that he was doing it before he was doing that about 17. But you know what else has changed massively? Dante DiVincenzo's drives are up 4x. He was driving to the hoop about two and a half times a game before Randall got hurt, and now it's 10. That is a lot more taxing on your body. And I spoke to Dante about it before the game. And part of it is that guys are all over him and he's trying to find ways to be more active. Like for the first time in his professional career, 
defenders are picking him up at half court and just denying him the ball at half court because he's playing such incredible basketball. But what does that mean? He's having to run around screens more. He's having to try and find try to find ways to get more open. Now, when one defender comes flying to close out at him, another one is following. And so he attacks that closeout and now he gets bumped by the second defender. Now he's going to the rim. Now he's trying to finish around the rim more. And guess what? He's been way better finishing around the rim lately than he was at the beginning of the year. But all of this is more wear and tear on your body. It is, it is more running. It's more shooting. It's more wear and tear on your arms. It's more exhausting. It's more mentally exhausting. And he's still playing an extremely important defensive role, arguably an even more important defensive role because OG Ananobi is not there, which kind of bumps him up to being a point of attack defender more than he would be if the Knicks were at full strength. So him playing 38 minutes a game right now is not the same thing as if he were playing 38 minutes a game and Brunson and OG Ananobi are there and he can kind of run around screens. He can camp at the corner. He can hit, you know, a few corner threes a game and he can basically play a less physical and less exhausting style. The fact that he's taking on this minutes total and also taking on this workload is first of all, really impressive because he's done it while being insanely good. I mean, it's not like he's done it and all of a sudden the dude's shooting 32% from the field and he's not, he, he's, he's, he's taking double digit threes a game and hitting 40 some odd percent of them. I mean, he's been a revelation outplaying that contract to insane degrees right now, but it's just a lot. It's a lot on your body. They brought in extra guys for depth pieces. They, they could benefit by using them in that fashion. And man, could they use the all-star break? So, well, so that's, you, you kind of basically just led into the, both my last questions on this subject. And if we have time, I want to ask you a quick heart, Josh Hart thing. Um, I, I think it was all more defensible. The minute stuff before the trade, before they brought in these guys, because they just, they had nobody. Um, especially after Grimes went down. Um, even Hardenstein, the way he pushed Hardenstein, I think Precious Chua has been, I won't quite call him a revelation in recent games, but I think he's shown he could do some stuff, more stuff than Tibbs probably I thought gave he credit. was fantastic. Oh, he, he, he got my, you know, in my newsletter, I do my little one star, two star, three star yeah. thing. I gave Precious Chua three stars. I thought he was the best player in the game. He um, was phenomenal defensively. My goodness. I thought that might've been the best defensive game he's played all season. Absolutely. And yet, and yet there were, there was a portion of that game, or at least we thought so when we were watching along on the playback where I think Benji even said it, he's like the Rockets have a layup line right now. And precious was in at the five. And it's like, and again, I'm not putting that on precious. That's just, he's a undersized guy. And if like he, he needs to be perfect, right. To, to be, to be the sort of a protector that this defense needs him to be. Um, but so, but with that caveat, I, I get when he was playing Hardenstein as much as he was playing Hardenstein. I get before the trade, these last two games, and with one to go be, before the All Star break, I am wondering if Tibbs is was just like ha, has had it in his mind for a while. I'm going to push it as far as I could push it until the break, because after the break, we'll get things settled back into something that is more manageable for all parties involved, and. That to me would, I'd at least understand it more because I got into it with Andrew last night during the post game, and I was like, "Look, this is Tibbs. You can't, you can't take what you want and leave the other stuff behind. You either take all of it or you get none of it." Um, and I'm, but from my perspective now, having defended the man, 
I do at least want to try to understand what his mindset is at this point. So I'm just going to ask you as, but your best guess as to like, cause he has to know everything you just said. And you could be, you know, in one response would be like, yeah, he, he, he knows, but he doesn't care. I don't think he doesn't care. I, I, I just, I think he, he has a calculation in his head. I could push this much and these guys could take this much. And maybe he miscalculates sometimes, but I, I want to ask your opinion on, on all that. It's a really hard question. I'm sorry. We're 52 minutes it. into the pod. It's shitty of me to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, I need the minutes restriction. Here's why it's You're a hard question. You're not getting a fucking minutes restriction. <laughs> here's, here's why it's a hard, hard question, because I've, I've asked similar stuff to Tibbs in a in various different ways. And the thing with Tibbs is if you ask him about minutes, even if it's not critical in the least, even if it's pure curiosity, there's just, there's, there's, you're not going to rip him. There's, you're just, you're just curious on anything that just mentions minutes. I think it's, he gets very defensive in those moments and it's hard to get a real answer out of him. And it's why I just, I can't sit here and confidently say, I know the answer. I can surmise that he's an unbelievably competitive person and his strength and maybe weakness as a coach is how much he values every single game, how Tonight is all that matters and that's it. And I think that can be a strength and I think that can be a weakness and that tonight is all that matters. That's it. Well, you want to be prepped for that game. Like it's game seven. You're going to because tonight is all that matters, but also Dante DiVincenzo going to play 41 out of 43 minutes. Yeah, he is. And I, I just, I just think I agree with you. It's, it's something you have to take along with all the really, really, really good stuff that Tibbs brings, but when there's this much roster attrition, it's tough. And it's not all on Tibbs. It's not like every injury is on Tibbs. That's not the case, but you go through it and some of them are over usage injuries. Achilles tendinopathy that Isaiah Hartenstein is dealing with is is that's an overusage injury. And Hartenstein is someone who like fell to the second round in the draft because people wondered about the viability of his of his feet. They wondered about the viability of his back. Like he he is someone who has not had a perfect health bill throughout his entire career. So like, you know, Tibbs was playing him for entire second halves. And one of the reasons why he, you know, people were questioning in the league had questioned Hartenstein before he really made it as a player. It was, is he going to be able to play nine consecutive minutes? Is that a thing he's going to be able to do? And to his credit, he has worked his behind off and become a really good player and somebody who's capable of even playing starter minutes. But you don't always want to push that, you know? Sometimes, sometimes it could just be too much. And I don't know if he's pushing guys a lot just because the break is coming up or it's because they don't have guys. Uh, you know, he always talks about how he's only worried about that night's game. I think that is in general pretty true. I think he's just trying to win the games, to be honest. I really do. And I, that, that, that's, that's not me reporting it. I, I don't yeah, know. No, he won't tell me, but it's, it's my, it's my guess from being someone who's, who's around the team and kind of knows how, how he thinks. I think he's just like, we got to win this game because this is all that matters. And then tomorrow 
tomorrow's game will be all that matters. And we got to win this game. And so he's just playing them a ton. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to disagree based on any, based on no shortage of evidence. Uh, okay. T- uh, two more, then I'll, I'll get you out of here. Um, and they're kind of related. Uh, first one is with everything in mind that you just said, do you think we will see, do you think we will see uh, a usage of bogey and or Burks that is different after the break than, than we've seen so far? If you had to guess. I think they got to figure out a way to ease in Bogdanovich more naturally. Like weird Bogdanovich rotations last night. Didn't play in the odd quarters. Did play in the even quarters. Came in with about 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. Played the rest of the second quarter. Came in right at the start of the third quarter for Jericho Sims. Or for the fourth quarter, I'm sorry, for Jericho Sims. Played the entire fourth quarter. Kind of weird rotations there. I think Tibbs is still probably getting his feel. And I think Bogdanovich is getting his feel too. You know, there's a point in that second quarter where Bogdanovich hit a corner or, or, or missed a corner three. And it was the second three that he had missed in a few possessions. And it goes into a timeout. And you could see him. He's got his head down and he's like, damn, I can't believe, can't believe that's my chance. That's what I'm here to do. I got to hit that corner three. And it, seemed like if he doesn't hit that corner three, then what's he out there for? And then in the fourth quarter, you start to remember like, oh, right. Like this, this isn't Evan Fournier. This isn't Quentin Grimes offensively. Like he is going to take you off the dribble and he's, he's going to take you off the dribble and go left. He's going to hit a little nine foot step back. And that's a good shot. Like it's not something that's not within the offense. It's a good shot. He's going to, he's going to, confidently be able to pump and then go into his sidestep to go up for a three, which he loves to do. Like he's going to be able to get hot, but I think Tibbs needs to get into a rhythm with him and he needs to get into a rhythm with Tibbs. I think with Burks, the transition is probably a little more seamless because they both know each other. They both understand how each other work to that degree. Uh, With Bogdanovich, it's just like, I don't think we're going to see like Bogdanovich comes in at the start of the second quarter, plays the whole second quarter, doesn't play in the third and then plays the whole fourth. And I don't think we're going to see him play like first six minutes of the odd quarters and then be bounced because he doesn't close either. I think there's probably a more conventional rotation in there for him. And, and maybe when Hartenstein is back, whenever that is, maybe they feel more comfortable putting him in the first unit, helping with the spacing some. Uh, giving giving Brunson a little more space and and also if teams are going to be vigorously trapping Jalen Brunson, something I talked about on my podcast episode today on Cats and Shoot, which you can subscribe to at patreon.com slash cats and shoot. Had Nikias Duncan on there who was awesome in today's episode. To that. Nikias is amazing. He's so good. And uh, one thing that we talked about is like, maybe you want to see if, if teams are just going to trap Jalen Brunson all the time, like maybe you want to see some some Bogdanovich pick and pops with Brunson because Brunson sure. doesn't love throwing. He doesn't love passing to the roller on screens, on screen and rolls. And he's not really someone who looks all the time to be able to dump off to his roller when he gets trapped because he's not really going to lob it over the defender because he's not tall enough. And sometimes he just, he just doesn't really try to step through it. And that's also not how Tibbs coaches it. Tibbs coaches like, 
don't fight the double team. Don't step through the double team. Don't fight the double team. You want to get off the ball as soon as possible. If you get off the ball and everybody makes quick decisions, then you will find a way to capitalize on the fact that they are now outnumbered on that double team. So they send up guys on the other side as an outlet and Brunson will swing it over. But they also, even when they run guard, guard, pick and rolls, what happens is a lot of the time the guard who is screening turns into a roller, not a popper. Like when, when, when Josh Hart sets a screen for Jalen Brunson, he rolls off of it. When Quentin Grimes would set a screen for Jalen Brunson, he would usually roll. Like when Dante DiVincenzo does it, he's not really like popping all the way to the wing. It's just not really how they do things. Bogdanovich loves to pick and pop. And that is a pass that might be easier for Brunson to make. You run a high pick and roll with Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich pops, say, to the left wing. Two defenders go out at Brunson. Brunson is then able to make that same pass that he might make to somebody who's coming up on the other side as an outlet. Now to Bogdanovich, who's your popper. And all of a sudden, Bogdanovich either has a lane to the rim or he has an open three, or maybe he has a swing pass to the corner because you've got somebody, you've got the low man coming up to help on Bogdanovich. Like there are a lot of different plays and you can trust Bogdanovich in that situation to make the right basketball play. He's also somebody who you can, he can take a shot from 10 feet off the dribble if it's open. That's that's a good shot for him. He is a really good shooter. He's not someone who you have to be like, only threes, only at the rim, and that's it. You don't have to cookie cutter him because he's a really good three-level scorer. So I wonder if that's something they work in, if that's the case. I wonder if if they try to play those two guys together, which might hurt them defensively. And I'm not saying that would be a wonderful thing to work in the postseason or anything like that. But when Randall is out, and when Ananobi is out, and when other guys are out, like it, it might just be a way to get you through the regular season. And if you do that against like I don't know, the Charlotte Hornets, like I, I on a random, you know, Wednesday in March, like no one that's fine. Like they're not gonna be like, oh, now we're attacking Bogdanovich. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, and they have a few more of those sorts of games over on the rest of their schedule against some some lesser teams, but they also have a lot of games against decent teams and certainly some games coming up against good teams after the break. Um, you know, it's gonna be a tough road to hold. We we didn't go into any big picture stuff. I'll save that for next time. Um, once we maybe get a clearer idea after the break of when guys are coming back and where the seedings are at that point or the standings, I should say, are at that point. The last thing I just wanted to get, like the, we've gone over an hour, so I, this could literally be a minute. I hope. I feel like I feel like the last five questions you've asked me has been the last one. No, I've been I've been prefacing each by saying I'm leading up to a last question about Josh Hart. So the other uh, besides the minutes, I feel like the big criticism of late with Tibbs has been the insistence on playing. To in addition to the center, two non-shooters or starting two non-shooters and Josh Hart and Precious Achua. I looked up the numbers today of Hart and Hart at the three and Precious at the four on cleaning the glass. Um, plus four point three overall in three hundred ninety-nine non-garbage time possessions, one twenty-two point eight offense, which I was frankly astounded to see. Um, it's supposed to get they get every offensive rebound predictably, and they don't turn the ball over at all, which I, I thought was was good as well. Not shooting it great, 30 percentile shooting, but like 122.8. That's great. Um, 118.5 defense. So that's obviously not great. 34 percentile. But I they are in the first percentile, small sample size, 400 possessions, first percentile in opponents effective field goal percentage at 61.3 effective field goal percentage, which is very high. 
And I don't think that that's attributable to anything they are doing or not doing. I think that's just really, really hot shooting. Um, so I would argue that those lineups are, the numbers say that those lineups are pretty good. My prediction is that he will continue starting Hart and Precious together until one of OG or Randall comes back. And that was, that's the last question I wanted to ask you, if you agree with me. Yeah. That might be the case. I could see if Bogdanovich is playing really well and Hartenstein is back and and playing like himself. I could see a world where maybe Bogdanovich starts at the four over Precious because now all of a sudden you've got your rim protector, you got your pain protector in Hartenstein, and he's also somebody who can help you on the boards. I could see him doing it, and you still have Hart out there who's going to make a huge difference on the boards. And Hart, Hart has played especially like a maniac lately. I mean, that second like he half always, against Houston was yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's just like, he's kind of like a golden retriever at this point where, you know, when you throw the tennis ball and the golden retriever's like, I am on it immediately just jarts to it. It's like every time a ball hits the rim, he is going crazy. I have a theory on Josh Hart that you can tell if he's going to play well or not well by his first rebound attempt of the game. Like and if that. his first rebound attempt of the game is just just the work of an insane person, then it's going to be a good Josh Hart game. If the first rebound attempt of the game is like something where he didn't quite, you're like, oh, he just quite didn't get that. You're like, oh, it might not, it might not be a Josh Hart night. It might not be it. So if I were coaching Josh Hart, I'd be like, I would determine whether it was a 20-minute Josh Hart night or a 28-minute Josh Hart night purely based on his first rebound attempt of the game. And that's my my working Josh Hart theory, and I won't hear anything else on it. Tibbs loves playing Josh Hart. He loves having him out there. Talks all the time about how he thinks he's a winner. I think Hart is going to remain out there. He's really important to their defense as a point-of-attack defender. He is really important to their rebounding. I agree with you. I think he's out there. I think if there's a change, it's because Hartenstein is back. And Tibbs says, you know, to get the shooting better, let's do Precious off the bench. And Bogdanovich can start at the four. Because even that first game, like Bogdanovich played 33 minutes in that first game. It's not yeah. like Tibbs is averse to playing him minutes. He was played him 33 off the bench. So, so may, maybe I could see something like that. But otherwise, what you're saying is probably the most likely scenario. Until OG and, and, and Julius are back and, and you know. I'm not totally OG. I think we have a clearer timeline on. I think he's going to be like three weeks from the, from the announcement of the surgery right around then he'll be back to on-court activities. And I, I, unless there's a setback, I think the expectation is that like, he will be back not that long after he resumes on-court activities. Like a week. I don't know. I, 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 I can't say, but like not that long, like, <laughs> like not, it not, it's not like, it's he'll resume. Right? It's all medical. It's, it's a fine. It's fine. And again, it's all medical. And again, it's, I forgot the end again. And again, it's all medical. Which which was necessary because he had previously said it was all medical. <laughs> I don't think I caught the first one. Oh yeah, there were a few. It's all medicals. There were it's all medical. All medical. <laughs> That's great. It's all medical. We we the beat writers now have a joke of like if like 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 if like Bondi went to his after like had to take his kid to the doctor and his wife was like, so what'd the doctor say? And he's what'd the doctor say? Is she doing okay? 
And he's just like, it's all, it's all medical, honey. It's all medical. They're like, are you going to tell me what's wrong with that? And again, it's all, it's all medical. Uh, but with, with OG, I, I look, I'll say it this way. I don't want to like put a timeline on it. And then it's like the athletic is reporting that OG's back in this time. The expectation is that he will, he will resume basketball activities that he's going to be in good shape because it's just an elbow injury. And so he should not be out of shape. He should not be unconditioned to play. And it's a very routine surgery and something they expect to clean up fully. And that is everything that has happened so far. That's, that's exactly kind of the, the route that he's been on thus far. And he should be back and feeling even better than he was before the surgery. Not that long after he finishes basketball activities. Uh, and that'll be like, I could see him. Re- he could return. There's definitely optimism. He'll return like in March, like not like for the playoffs. Like there's optimism. He returns at some point in March with, with time to go before the playoffs. And I think Randall is pushing. It's so hard to report on when Julius Randall could come back because Julius Randall is just just unhinged and is like i think he would come back tomorrow if it were up to him and so you hear like oh julius randall is pushing to come back on this date julius randall is pushing to come back you know by the after the all-star break and you're like yeah but the doctors have to allow him to like 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 julius could be in a full body cast he'd be like i'm playing tomorrow Look at this, John. You're just um I got a I got a kid with strep throat that's been sitting on me for the last 20 minutes. John, so John, John, come on, come on, John. Technical terms. A kid that's just all medical. It's all medical. It's all medical. It's not strep throat. It's all, it's all medical. medical. Again and again. Yep. In elbow surgery, strep throat, COVID, you know. Any sort of mental shoulder. Yeah. The me, me having to go to better help because of my Jason Goble dreams, whatever, whatever Jericho Sims had that had him out for three games, Jericho Sims illness, it's medical. medical. Fred, I I don't even know where we were. You've, you've, uh, we've kept you for too long. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think you, you made the, the point very clear. Um, Julius would like to come back very soon. You know what? I'd, I'd like all these guys to come back. Um, Next time we talk, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into where this team is for the stretch run because I have I'll just make this prediction. You're not saying anything. I think the next time we talk, we'll we'll have a very clear picture of if this is going to be a final month of the regular season where we're talking about they can make a real run at the two seed or the three seed, or if we're talking about is this going to be a just avoid the play in which one would think would be pretty safe, but you never know. And is this going to be about, you know, positioning and, and posturing down in, into the final weeks? Um, I frankly could see it going in either of those two directions. And and it's not all dependent on the Knicks because the East is really freaking good. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for, for next time, I guess. Yes, we will. Lord knows we've got stuff to talk about. I, 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 I would be surprised if they ended up in the plan. For what it's worth, I don't think I don't think they're actually going to end up in the play-in, but you know, um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't. They, I mean, they better not fucking end up in the play-in. <laughs> that would be really bad. I don't think that's going to happen. They'll 
they're really good. They're just really injured. Yeah. That's all. And this all star break, they're gonna have they're gonna have nine days, nine days, eight days. Eight days. Just to just to chill. You know, Hartenstein is questionable for tomorrow. DiVincenzo is questionable for tomorrow, right? Like if they're questionable for tomorrow, it would stand to reason now OG Ananobi was day to day for two weeks. But it it, it would it stands to reason that these guys who are on the fence, they'll get eight days, be able to hang out, they'll be able to refresh their bodies, and and they can come back from the break feeling better. And this is a team that could really use that. They could use they could use anybody. They and they but you know what they have, Fred? They have you. They have you reporting on them. Unfortunately for them. <laughs> Thank God of all of the injuries that have befallen them. Uh, you are not among them. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to boast uh, that that vociferously today about cats and shoot. Um, America's it's not even America's fastest growing uh, niche podcast uh, Patreon sensation because it's it's now established in the in the culture. So I feel <laughs> I feel like I'm almost wasting my breath uh, touting it. But if you enjoy listening to the gentleman. That uh, well, that's that's not that's too strong a term to the to the guy to the dude. The guy, uh, I am a guy. I am a guy, not a man, not a, a boy, just a guy, just a guy. <laughs> you're a dude. No, you're a dude. It's you're like dude. it's like a weird it's like a weird take on on the on the Britney Spears song. Like I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. Oh my god, um, that was off her first album. Not, I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a boy. Definitely not a man. Just a guy. It's not um, as poetic, but it's very truthful. You should you should work on those lyrics. Um, subscribe to uh, Cats and Shoot, which you can get to uh, on what is it? Patreon.com slash Cats and Shoot. It's on the screen right now. I could read. Um, so yeah, Patreon.com slash Cats, K-A-T-Z and A-N-D Shoot. Traditional spelling, S H O O T. What would be the non traditional spelling of shoot? Um, and and you S H U T E would be would be non traditional. What wait, wouldn't it be no, a like terrible some, business idea? Like shoot some letters. letters. Is yeah, that the whole time? Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be a terrible business idea if I just named it Cats and S H U T E just to just to be non traditional? My everyone daughter was got just, up and walked away, by the way. <laughs> everyone, everyone was just so incredibly confused. They were like, I can't find your podcast. I really want to listen, but okay. Like, yeah, Andrew's, telling me, Andrew's telling me to land the plane. Uh, you can That's also exactly read- why I keep talking. I saw Andrew's message in the chat and I was like, I'm going to keep talking right now. John, John, Andrew wants John to land the plane and I am going to be the disruptive passenger who is standing up and screaming that there's somebody outside on the wing. We didn't even get to your plane story today about a Nick in the plane. <laughs> well, we're not going to oh, do yeah. it now because we have to land the plane. There's <laughs> a Nick in the plane, not a Nick on the plane. Um, yeah, See, that uh, would have been good instead of different spellings of shoot. Here's the quick 30-second version. Fred's flight was delayed, which is why we recorded when we did, because of a Nick in the plane. Get it? A Nick in the plane. There, story was told. <laughs> Man, Andrew's had enough. Andrew's like, fuck these people. I just, I, I love doing, I, I love when Fred comes on. I, and Fred, I, hope, I don't know if this is your first time that you got to co-host with the entire Macri household. 
on on this episode. I, I know. I I wasn't <laughs> sure if I should mention the fact that every single member of the Macri family has showed up on screen at different points throughout this podcast. Yes. I didn't know if I was supposed to talk about it often, a little, not at all. I just know it's all medical. It, it listen, as John mentioned, uh who am I to be upset with a little girl with strep throat? So we deal with things as a family here at Nick's Film School. They just this it makes my night interesting. Is is all it is. The people. So John, the, you, John, should we talk about yeah. should we talk about the Nick in the plane before we go? <laughs> Thank no, you everybody for not. tuning in to another edition of the Nick's Film School podcast. You cats friend on editions of Cats and Shoot, which is available on Patreon. I should say John will not be on your post game on Wednesday because speaking of family, he is enjoying a wonderful Valentine's Day with Mrs. Macri. I'm not doing the post game. My goodness, you asked for the night off. No, I, I, asked, for God, the, I asked for the to not do the watch along. I could do and the post then game. What was the question? What was the following conversation? I'm doing the post game tomorrow. I drew the short straw. Oh, okay. I could do it if you want. But yeah, if you want to do I'm, it, you could do it. I'm Fred, I'm gonna throw him off that plane that has a nick in it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. You can wear my hat if you get it from the website. Nick's film school dot Nick Film School. See a nick in the plane and a nick in the film school. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Later. <laughs>